This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Every new year, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we're already doing right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you want to actually eat breakfast too. Therapy can also help you build on what's working by helping you find your strengths so that you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. I know firsthand how helpful it can be to learn positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. Therapy isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress that you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Curiosities today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Curiosities. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. On July 8th of 1853, American Commodore Matthew Perry sailed four ships into Tokyo Bay, essentially declaring Japan open to Western business whether they wanted it or not. Japan had been relatively isolated for about 200 years, but Perry's unceremonious gate-crashing led to huge changes for the country and the world at large. Now, I doubt very much that Perry anticipated that his actions, however indirectly, would lead to thousands of lives being saved, but let's make sure credit goes to those who deserve it. In 1939, the Axis powers faced down the Allies for the revenge sequel no one really wanted, Germany had created an alliance with the Soviet Union, which absolutely no one thought would last, including the Soviets and the Germans. As the Germans rolled over Europe, Japan was dominating the Pacific, but there were a few Japanese officials posted in Europe as well, including Shiyuni Sugihara. Now, Sugihara was a career diplomat, and in November of 1939 was posted to the then capital of Lithuania to serve as Japanese consul. Part of that job included monitoring the Germans' movements so that the Japanese could prepare for the Germans' attack on the Soviets. Remember, Japan had their own beef with the Soviets, and it wouldn't do well for them to be caught unawares. Sugihara was born on January 1st of 1900, and grew up at a time when Japan was asserting itself globally. Unlike many Japanese children, Sugihara was exposed to different cultural influences from a young age, even choosing to study English literature in Tokyo rather than becoming a doctor like his father wanted. He received diplomatic training after graduation, becoming deputy consul in Manchuria and helping the Soviet Union win control over the Manchurian Railroad, which netted Japan a fat profit. But the Chinese living in the area were treated terribly by the Japanese, and that turned Sugihara's stomach. He resigned in 1934, returning to Tokyo to ask for, hopefully, quieter assignments in Europe. He had no idea what was coming, though. While he was in Tokyo, he met a woman named Yukiko Kikuchi and married her before he was shipped out to his next post. Of course, Lithuania was about to suffer a double occupation by the Soviets and the Nazis, but for about 10 months at the start of the war, it was still an independent country. 
full of spies and refugees fleeing the destruction wrought by world powers. 1939 found the Sugihara family in the city of Kanuz, now with two young children, and they became close with many of their neighbors. Some were Jewish families who quietly explained their fears of the Nazis. Maybe it was this close contact that pushed Sugihara to act, or maybe he was just trying to be a good person in the face of unimaginable evil. Sugihara began interfacing with the Polish underground, getting information from the resistance as he watched the Jewish refugees from Poland and other areas pour in by the day and begin flocking to the Japanese consulate that doubled as the Sugihara's home. Now, before we continue, it's important to point out that World War II has a nasty history with refugees. Even without the benefit of hindsight that we have today, it's difficult to read all the articles that discussed how the mighty United States, you know, the land of give me your poor, your tired, your huddled masses, was turning refugees away. But it's true. The United States turned away hundreds of thousands of Jewish refugees before, during, and even after the war. Most were returned to Europe to their doom. Sugihara's position was complicated. Technically, he could give out visas, but there were protocols, and his government would certainly never accept the number of people who turned up daily begging for an escape. One of the only ways out was through the Soviet Union to Japan. There was very little safety, but there was a chance. And so Sugihara decided that he would do what he could. In clear violation of repeated orders, he sat down, picked up a pen, and began to write. And he didn't stop for days. His wife joined in too, working day and night to give visas to anyone who came. Sugihara knew that he didn't have much time. The Soviets were closing in, and there was a rapidly approaching deadline for foreign staff to get out of the country. He worked right up until he was forced out. According to one story, he was still writing and stamping visas as he was loaded onto the train when it began to pull away, throwing the precious papers out the window to the folks who were waiting for them. From there, Sugihara and his family returned to Japan, and he was assigned to several Nazi-occupied territories. When the Soviets took Romania, his final posting, the Sugihara family was arrested, although not treated badly. Rather than receive a hero's welcome when he returned to Japan in 1947, he was pressured to resign. He always believed that it was because of those visas. We don't know exactly how many people Sugihara managed to save. Some estimated it could have been as many as 6,000. Well worth a few ignored telegrams and a reprimand. He spent the rest of his life in relative obscurity. The world moved on from the war, and he worked odd jobs to keep his family afloat. He never even spoke of what he did in Lithuania. But some never forgot. In 1968, one visa recipient tracked him down, and Sugihara even visited Israel shortly before he passed away in 1986. And there, the country honored him at their official Holocaust memorial with the title Righteous Among the Nations. Which goes to show you, sometimes the curious path is the best one to take. This episode is sponsored by Intuit. Here's a story for you. Once upon a time, a young woman was haunted by the ghosts of bad financial decisions, with credit card debt and an empty savings account looming over her every day. But when she tried to ignore these ghosts, they only grew bigger and scarier. And these ghosts of her bad financial decisions were stopping her from living her best life. So she decided to face them head on and take control of her finances with help from Intuit. Intuit helps you face your financial fears with confidence through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. 
Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Humans have a tendency to look for patterns and meaning where there shouldn't be any. For example, we might look at the holes on a wall outlet and see a face, or stare at a cloud and see an animal of some kind. That's called pareidolia. But there's a related concept called apophenia, which are connections made between unrelated stimuli, like the recurring appearance of a certain number. Back in 1964, two California college students set out to prove that one particular number shows up far more than any other. And as a result, their academic exercise took on a life of its own. Lori Metz and Bruce Elgin joined forces on a research project while attending Pomona College in Claremont, California. Their premise? Whether the number 47 appears more regularly in the world than it should be expected to. Now, the number 47 is interesting in its own right. It's a prime number. It also appears in the Lucas sequence, a sequence of integers named after mathematician François-Edouard Anatole Lucas as its sixth prime number. But look deeper and you might begin to understand what Metz and Elgin were getting at, because the number 47 is more than a mathematical digit. It's a world unto itself. The planet Mars slides into the same position relative to the Sun and the Earth every 47 years. One of the most used military rifles on the planet is the AK-47. There's also the CH-47 Chinook tandem rotor helicopter and the P-47 Thunderbird fighter plane, which was used during World War II. The number also occurs throughout pop culture. For example, on the television series Lost, 47 people initially survived the crash of Oceanic Flight 815. Then in the Pixar movie, Monsters, Inc., there's a sign at the Scare Factory that reads, accident-free for 47 days. But what was it about this number that made it so appealing to two college students in California? Well, because it was important to the school. You see, exit 47 off the San Bernardino Freeway will take you straight to Pomona College, and the organ in the Ralph H. Lyman Hall Auditorium 
is equipped with 47 pipes on its top row. Perhaps most intriguing is the fact that in 1894, the year of the school's first graduating class, 47 students were enrolled at the college. Over a century later, the freshman class of the year 2000 had 47 valedictorians. Meanwhile, 47 even appears in places that you might not expect. The Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn are 47 degrees apart on a map. Depending on the version, 47 sentences have been tabulated within the Declaration of Independence. And Julius Caesar was believed to have coined the phrase Vene Vidi Vici in the year 47 BC. It's no wonder that Elgin and Metz decided to focus their efforts on this strangely popular number. But they didn't exactly go into it with scholarly intentions. You see, Lori Metz and Bruce Elgin approached the research project with their tongues firmly planted in their cheeks. It was kind of a joke. Even a professor at the school was in on it by creating false mathematical proof where 47 was equal to every other integer. And they didn't have the internet to spread their satirical project to the rest of the school. They went viral organically, eventually becoming a meme among other students, even those who would enroll at Pomoma later on. What started in 1964 carried on for decades to come, which is partly why the number 47 shows up in so many TV shows and movies. Television writer Joe Minoski wrote for several Star Trek shows in the 80s and 90s. He managed to squeeze the number 47 into practically every script he wrote. He also graduated Pomona College in 1979. Since then, other Star Trek writers have carried on the tradition, even those who never attended Pomona. And if you watch the old Disney film The Absent-Minded Professor, you might notice the numbers show up on the scoreboard of a scene set at a college basketball game. The final score is 47 to 46. Oh, and one last thing. That scene was shot at Pomona College, but three years before Metz and Elgin's research project had even started. Was it just a coincidence, or is there something about the school that attracts the number 47? The debate rages on to this day, and it probably will, for another 47 years. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious.